Coming up uh, next week, it's going to mark the 69th anniversary since Billy Graham did a 1949 Greater Los Angeles Crusade that would change not only his life, but in turn, literally change the lives and destinies of millions of people around the world as he began that ministry. Um, the historic outreach came to life recently when his grandson, Will Graham, was asked to portray his grandfather, Billy, in the film Unbroken, Path to Redemption. It picks up where the movie Unbroken, about the life of Louis Zamperini, left off, and it talks about Louis' post-war struggles and his eventual acceptance and putting his faith in Jesus Christ, and he happened to do it, by the way, at the L.A. Crusade in 1949. The first decision, really, um, was Billy's. And not many people know about this, but uh, about a month before the L.A. Crusade that made Billy Graham a national figure, um, Billy Graham faced a crisis in his own personal faith with Christ. A very good friend of Billy's, a contemporary uh, speaker. They both, uh, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham, would speak at Youth for Christ gatherings across the United States. And Charles Templeton uh, went back to school to Princeton to further his education. And it was there that he began to see the Bible as being flawed and that academia, not Jesus, was the answer to life's problems. And he tried to convince Billy that uh, his way of thinking was outdated and that the Bible that Billy taught from couldn't be trusted. And so Billy was kind of dealing with those kind of questions about faith and doubting the Bible and wondering, you know, is this true? Can I put my life on it? And... Um, you know, or if he should follow after his friend Templeton's questioning. And Billy had been in, invited to uh, speak to a group of people uh, at a camp prior to going to L.A. And there was this war, this battle that was being waged within him. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about the Bible, and I don't know about my faith, and I've got all of these questions, and they were just racing through Billy's head. And he realized that he couldn't continue doing what he was doing if, if he was floundering. And so he got alone with God and began to read through the Bible. And honestly, just like Habakkuk did, he he dumped all of his questions and doubts at Christ. Like, is this real? Is it true? And the one thing that kept coming back to Billy as he would open the Bible is he would continually see these words, Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The Lord was speaking. And that began to resonate within Billy. Um, really attacking the doubts and, and uh, questions that he had about God's word. 
and he began to realize that, man, if God said it, you know, God could be trusted. And so um, he went out one night in the woods, and he put his Bible down on a tree stump and basically just unloaded on God, you know, and said, God, we're going to settle this thing once and for all. I am going to put all my doubts and all my questions to the side, and I am putting my trust in your word completely. And, he's, and he goes on to say that after having that time with God alone, that he just felt refreshed within himself and had the, the confidence and really the authority to be able to speak from God's word, saying, this is true. You can put your whole life and wait on it. It can be trusted. And so... Um, just a week later, Billy was in L.A. for this crusade in 1949, which was scheduled for three weeks, ended up going eight weeks. And a total of 350,000 people attended that crusade over the eight-week period, and over 3,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Pretty cool. And just, uh, just a sampling of, of a few of those people, one of them was Louis Zamperini, the dude who, whose plane was, uh, had mechanical issues over the Pacific Ocean during World War II, and for 47 days he floated on the Pacific Ocean and whatever thing he could have to hang on for his dear life. And you would say after 47 days, man, that's, that's a long time. Yes, it is. Instead of Americans picking him up, it was the Japanese that found him. And so they proceeded to put him in a prisoner of war camp for the next two years. Now think about that. And Louis was an Olympic track runner. And the Japanese found out about it at the prison camp, and they used him as an example to the other Americans in that camp, and they tortured him brutally because he had been such a public figure. In our country. And so after the war, when Louis got out, you you could just imagine. uh, He was dealing with depression and with all of the experiences that he had gone through in the previous years, he became an alcoholic. And by being an alcoholic, he became very abusive physically uh, to his wife. And then besides that, he was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. And his life was literally falling apart around him. And his wife said, man, I can't go on living with you, Louis. You are, you are messed up. You need help. And finally, she was able to encourage Louis to go to the crusade. And it was there that Louis went forward and placed his faith in Jesus Christ, and it turned his life around immediately. It saved his marriage. And not only that, it led to the creation of Louis Zamperini Youth Ministries, which for over 60 years has brought a message of love, faith, and hope to at-risk youth nationwide. Another decision. Jim Voss, who was part of the L.A. mob, put his faith in Christ at the crusade. In fact, not only did his life turn around, he asked Billy Graham to go to his mob boss, Mickey Cohen, 
and present the gospel to Mickey as well, which he did. Another famous decision that took place in that crusade was by a famous singing cowboy. You may have heard him. You may play his music. A top radio personality by the name of Stuart Hamblin. I never heard of the guy. <laughs> Who told of his conversion on the air. He said, man, I went to the Billy Graham crusade. I put my faith in Christ on the radio. Guess who was listening? Yes, indeed, it was William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper tycoon. And man, he, his life turned around, and he told all of his editors to start promoting Billy Graham as the real deal. And it was because of that that Billy Graham became known across the United States. One decision after another. Our decisions that we make in life impact other people, whether we want it to or not. And Will Graham says this, There is no doubt God worked through my grandfather with the amazing gift of preaching, but he also worked through the decisions of many individuals. And this morning, as an individual, you have a decision to make. Every single one of us. Every decision is important. You simply never know what ripples will occur when just one stone is dropped in the pond. When you show kindness to someone, follow the leading of your conscience or overlook an offense. As the anniversary of my grandfather's greater Los Angeles crusade nears, I'm making a decision to be more intentionally aware that every person I come in contact with is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Whether they agree with me or not, whether they like me or not, they are loved by God and deserve no less from me. So what will you decide today? And that's what I submit to you this morning as well. What will you decide today? And this morning as we continue through the book of Habakkuk, we realize that Habakkuk was a man of God, a prophet, a man around 30 years old who had conversations with God, who threw all kinds of questions and doubts at God, right in God's face, so to speak. And God did not flinch. And God did not open up the planet and drop Habakkuk in it. Nor did he send a bunch of lightning bolts to zap him and nuke him off the planet. No. God took it and listened to everything Habakkuk had to say. And all of his questions and all of his doubting. Billy Graham went through the same thing. I've gone through that. You've gone through that. But just like Habakkuk, Habakkuk never ran away from God. He stuck with him all the way. And so Habakkuk helps, helps guide us through those questions of life. And in the back of your program, there's an outline that you can track with us this morning. And uh, by all means, we encourage you to uh, participate in getting a, a pin out and uh, filling in all of those cool blanks along the way. And so 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk wrote this short book of three chapters. And in it, it's, it's a picture, I believe, of the integrity of God, the character of God, on how it gives permission to you and to me to be able to be honest and transparent with God, holding nothing back. 
And that's why in the book of Psalms, I, I love that, that book as well because the writers in that book are honest. They're brutally honest. And it's simply saying to you and to me, God knows every thought you have anyway, so why don't you just tell them? You know? Do you have some kind of box in your core that you think, well, God can't see through this black box? Yes, he can. And you might as well just unload on him. Why? Because he loves you. And he's big enough to handle all of your questions and all of your doubts. And so, this morning, as we are reminded of the fact that Habakkuk's name means to wrestle and to embrace. Now, that seems contradictory, doesn't it? But in fact, it isn't. Because Habakkuk literally was wrestling with God with all of his questions and all of his doubts. But when he was done wrestling, he didn't walk away from God like Charles Templeton. And you may know some people in your sphere of influence that have done that very same thing. You know, the questions, the doubts, they walk away from that relationship with Christ. No, no. Not only does Habakkuk mean to wrestle, but it means to embrace. And while the whole time Habakkuk is wrestling with God, he's also embracing him. And the fact of the matter is that God is also embracing Habakkuk. Reaffirming to him that I will walk through life with all of your questions, with all of your doubts, Habakkuk. And I will see you through to the end. And so, this morning, do you have that kind of liberty in your relationship with the Lord to be able to question him, to wrestle with him? And are you experiencing embracing him as well. There, I tell you what, there is nothing like the embrace of your loving Heavenly Father. It will give you security in a world that's literally falling apart. And so this morning, let's, let's hit number one. That's a good place to start, right? Number one. Didn't they teach you that in school? Number one. Habakkuk in his tower. Now, I know we hit this a little bit last week. I want, to, I want to intro with it again because I believe it's, it's instrumental. It is the key to what kept Habakkuk embracing God. Habakkuk in his tower, verse 1. Let's, uh, let's read the first uh, five verses of, of chapter 2. All right? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, isn't it interesting? Habakkuk builds a tower, he hangs out in a tower, and he's saying, I'm building this, I'm hanging out here, because I'm waiting for God to speak to me. Look at verse 2. The Lord said to me. What's that mean? The Lord spoke to him. Listen, when you need to hear from God, you will hear from God. You will. And I, I love this, the simplicity of this message is that he says to the Lord, and I, I will see how you will answer my complaint. <laughs> and so many of us grew up thinking, I can't complain to God. I don't have, God's going to get me, you know. He's going to smack me upside the head if I'm complaining to him. No, that's not true. He says, he's going to answer my complaint. And the Lord said to me, 
What is the Lord saying to you this morning? Hmm? What has he been saying to you recently? It's time to hit the pause button and quiet down. All right? What, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? I can, I can remember um, as a young man, um, this, this particular time in my life, I would, I would read my Bible late at night. I, I liked just the quietness of the day, reflecting on the day. And uh, this particular evening, very late, and I was reading my Bible, and I heard God say to me, what did he say to me? He said, you got your curiosity going now. He said to me, Bob, you're going to marry Debbie Carble. And we weren't even dating. We had gone on a few dates uh, over the years, like once a year we would date, you know, the last two years, whatever, and uh, always had a good time together, um, but nothing ever materialized. And so this was in December, and I never told anybody, you know. And so uh, January went by, and February went by, and uh, February 14th, I sent her a Valentine's card that was uh, kind of a, uh, uh, it had a subtle message to it, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I also sent her some daisies, you know? Couldn't send roses because that's, that's pretty strong. <laughs> Daisy. So, so, so in... You know, very, very simple Valentine's card. And, and um, she called me and said, hey, thank you for the daisies. I, guys, I want you to stop and think about this. How many women would be grateful for daisies? Hmm? <laughs> I don't think there's a whole bunch of them out there, you know. Uh, if I could take a vote, I'd say, I don't think so, man. They want roses or they want, you know, something very expensive. But so, so um, I had been watching Debbie because uh, I was a youth pastor at the time and, 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 uh, and just watching how she related to, to people. Uh, she loved being with people, loved communicating with people. And so from a distance, I watched her in all different kinds of environments, and I thought, hmm, that's pretty cool. So when she called me to thank me for those daisies, that was another side of her character that I saw, that even daisies she was grateful for. Hmm? And so um, in the middle of March, then we went out uh, for pizza after she got off work, and um, uh, I think within six months we were married. Um, and we've been married for 40 plus years now. So, 
here's, here's the thing. God did not speak to me in an audible voice, but I was reading his word. See? I was reading his word. And because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, there's a little, there's a little tapping going on, you know? And I believe that God speaks to us through his spirit. He speaks to us through his word. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on. But the fact of the matter is, God is speaking. He's speaking. And he wants to speak, and he wants to be heard. And that's why it's imperative that you and I take time in our busy world and we build a tower. The reason is we have so many casualties in Christendom today is because Christians are not building watchtowers. There's no safe place to go, man. There's no place to get along with God for God to speak and for for you to hear from God and for you to just unload on God if you want to. It's not happening. And so because Jesus modeled that watchtower principle You read through the Gospels and you'll see that he hung with people, but he also would get alone to spend time with his father. That has to happen. And I'm telling you, in the midst of this society that was crumbling all around him in Judah, and all the political leaders of his time were corrupt, worshiping all these fake gods, The kind of culture that they were living in, parents would even sacrifice their own children on the altar and have them burned. Now, how if if God, God who created these people, and the God of Israel, this was not like an overnight deal where he said, that's it. No, it was generations that God waited and pleaded with the people to be reconciled back to him. But I'm telling you, any time a culture pushes God out, it becomes a dangerous culture. We need to be building watchtowers. You personally need a watchtower. And we see that... um, God spoke and he says, write my answer plainly on the tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. And this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. And so Habakkuk, as you know, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how Habakkuk had a series, a barrage of questions that he just unloaded on God, in God was okay. And after Habakkuk got finished, finished asking all of these questions, he didn't walk away from God like Charles Templeton. He instead built a tower 
And I'm telling you, friend, you will become bitter and you will become angry at God if you do not have a watchtower that you can go to on a consistent basis. Because this life is brutal, man. Just like the title, we are living in a real world. And when you live in a real world, there is pain and there's suffering. That really doesn't make sense to anybody. But you can go back to the Garden of Eden and you can, you can look at what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Weeds began growing. And, and hatred be- filtered into the world. And evil, disease, pain, suffering whew, swept through this planet. That's what sin does, by the way. And until you get to heaven... We are not going to live in a perfect world without pain or suffering. And let me tell you something. As a parent, you better let your kids experience failure. Let your kids experience pain, rejection. You cannot put them in a bubble, man, and let them turn into an adult and things are going to go well for them. We have a culture of young people, young adults that don't know what failure is because their parents have been out front trying to protect them along the way. Did your parents do that to you? They didn't do it to me. Hmm? We're living in a real world. And when we experience those kinds of things in life, it makes us perfectly aware, like Nick had said earlier, hey, we can't do this on our own. I need somebody bigger, and it's God that has to live his life through me to walk me through. And so, so it was here that, that Habakkuk learned that God was going to not only judge Judah, but he was ultimately going to destroy the Babylonians along the way. So number one, Habakkuk, it says, I will climb up to my watchtower. Do you understand that in Christendom today, Christendom, followers of Jesus Christ, there's, there's a gap between the character of Christ and followers of Christ. We're saying that there's no, there's no life difference, no, no living difference between a follower of Christ and a non-believer. Followers of Christ have stopped climbing in their, in their walk, in their relationship with Christ. They put it on cruise control. And anytime you start cruising, the influence of this world will get on you. Right? And the things of God really begin to lose perspective. They're not as important as they once were. And so we have to be intentional about climbing. It's not doing good works to earn my way into heaven. We already, we already have that assurance that it's done. But I'm telling you, in any relationship, you have to be proactive in preserving it, in keeping it healthy, right? Man, if you think, you know, I, uh, yeah, my, my spouse knows that I love them. I told them 35 years ago. Well, how's it going today? Well, I don't know. You know, there's not really anything happening. In any relationship, man, you have to pull the weeds on a consistent basis. Otherwise, I'm dealing with that in my house, man. 
You know, weeds just love to thrive. And if you don't take care of those weeds, they will overrun your grass. Have you noticed that? Or maybe your house, it's not like that. But I'm telling you, man, this is like a full-time job battling the weeds in life. That's the same way in our relationship, man. If we just put God on hold, weeds of this world will creep in. And God doesn't seem as important in that relationship. We have to climb. We have to pursue him. Just like in James 4, come close to God and God will come close to you. God hasn't gone anywhere, but when we're drifting, we're drifting away from him. Right? I like what the message puts it. It says, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. That's what Billy Graham did. That's what Habakkuk did. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. See, that's climbing. That's climbing. You're pursuing after God, man. You're, you're, you're keeping that relationship vital and healthy. Mm. And not only that, you, after you're done climbing, you stand. Number two, standing. So you're in that watchtower and you're climbing up, boom, to the top. And then you're standing in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Stand firm. There's something about, here's Habakkuk wrestling with God, but then he's embracing God. He's standing and he's embracing. Just like it says, stand firm and keep a strong grip on that relationship. Number three, while you're standing, guess what? You're waiting. We don't know how long Habakkuk waited in that tower before God spoke to him. There's no timeline here. But God did speak, but there's waiting. Can I tell you that when you climb in your watchtower and you stand, you will see things from a different perspective. You know? I'll take it back to my yard. When, when I look at my yard from ground level, it looks good. But when I climb up to the second floor and I look out, I see holes and I see patches where the grass isn't growing. So where do I like to go, man? I like to go on ground level because it looks good. When I go up to the top, I look down on it and I see it as it really is. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to get into the watchtower and see God's perspective on things. Because sometimes when we're on ground level, we look at ourselves and say, I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, next to somebody over here, I'm good. That's what Judah was doing to to Babylon. They, They were comparing themselves to Babylon. Babylon was so much worse than Judah. But by themselves, Judah was pretty corrupt. Listen, we need to get up and see God's perspective on things. Because I don't know if you know it or not. We are living at a critical time. Hmm? 
We are living at a critical time. And as Habakkuk was in that watchtower, he saw things as they were. In the quietness, no distractions. And so I want to ask you this morning, what condition is your watchtower? Sometimes, Charles Templeton, he had a watchtower, but he went to Home Depot, bought a bunch of plywood, and he boarded up the watchtower and said, I'm leaving it, you know? I'm walking away from it. Habakkuk, on the other hand, Billy Graham, on the other hand, kept the doors open, kept the watchtower clear of all the clutter that gets in the way from getting into the watchtower. What kind of condition is your watchtower this morning? Have you abandoned your watchtower? Is there a watchtower? Do you have a place you can go? Hmm? That's important because it was that watchtower, that place of refuge for Habakkuk that kept him strong until the very end. He didn't stay in that watchtower forever, but he had a watchtower that he was able to go to on a consistent basis. What's that watchtower look like? It's a place where you can open your Bible and read. You can read it. You could talk to God. God can talk back to you. It's a place where you can put on worship music, you know, and tell God how great he is. I'm telling you, man, you've got to do it to keep perspective to keep that relationship where it needs to go because just like Charles Templeton, man, boarding up his watchtower, he became bitter and angry at God. In fact, he denied the very existence of God. That's what life will do to you, man. But I'm telling you, just like you and I participated in the communion a few moments ago, until Jesus comes again, he's coming again. That's the priority. That's what's most important. Friday, Debbie and I went out <clears throat> uh, for lunch. And uh, I dropped her off at the front door of the restaurant. And, uh, and so I was swinging around to, to park the car. And, and uh, so I pulled whew, like this because I was going to back in. So, so I'm here. And while I'm here, I'm putting in a reverse. A car comes and pulls right in my spot. Do you know what that did to me? So I knew, so I'm sitting there after this dude and his dudes got out of the car and they go into the restaurant. I'm sitting there at that same spot. I didn't park yet. And I'm thinking, God, should I let this go? You know, should I let it go? Or, or should I talk to the guy? You know, so I'm, I'm having this debate in my head, you know. What should I do? Should I key his car? That's what I really want to do, man. It was a brand new Subaru. But what really got me, he came out and he had an Iowa shirt on. So after deciding what I was going to do, Mr. Spiritual, <laughs> I parked the car on the other side, you know, across from him. 
and I go in, and he's at the, the place, you know, where you get your food, too. And so I, I go up to him, and I said, nice parking job, dude. <laughs> and his buddies are around him, you know. Did that make me feel good? I'm think, and I, I'm thinking, what did I do that for, you know? Was that honorable? So that kind of troubled me even while I was eating. And I was like, man, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And I'm telling you this story that I'm human. You're human, right? And even something as trivial as somebody taking your parking spot, it can get your spiritual blood pressure spiking, man, you know? So what would Jesus have done? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't yell at the guy, but, you know, they gave me a whole bunch of stuff after I said, hey, you know, blah, 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 and I walked away. But, Lord, I need you because Bob Lee gets in the way, you know. And I can tell you, when I got, Debbie and I got in our car before they came out, I was, I was thinking I should really key that car. How depraved of a mind I have, right? It's, it's messed up. But it goes to show, it just reminded me how much I need my watchtower, you know? I really need my watchtower. And God needs to continue to work in my life. That's why I need the watchtower. Because this process, you know, will go on until Jesus comes again. And then we don't have to fight for parking places in heaven. (laughs) And Father, this morning I pray for every person in this room. And Lord, we all deal with life issues. Some are very, very serious and some are very trivial. But... Lord, we just are reminded of the fact that we need you to help us to make wise choices and decisions. And Lord, will you come and invade our space? Will you you fill every corner of our lives Because, Lord, we, we really want to model your character. We really do. And there's a battle going on. We recognize that. So will you help us, Lord, to go to that watchtower on a consistent basis, to be able to read your love letters and allow you to speak into our lives and we can throw all of our questions and doubts at you, Lord? We want to thank you for you're always coming after us. You're always pursuing us because you love us so much. And so I pray today that there would be um, a lot of construction going on in our lives, that we would repair that broken down watchtower, that we would take the plywood off the doors and the windows, and we would just refresh that space 
where we meet with you on a consistent basis. Lord, how you love each one of us. You love spending time with us. And so today, we're grateful for the good work that you're doing in us, Lord. is the one thing that God is speaking to you about in your life right now. If you could could say there's one thing that's holding me back right now in my relationship with the Lord, where my my watchtower has become filled with spider webs and dusty. What's the one thing Jesus' name.